0: Today, we're going to look at a couple of different passages of Scripture. We're going to be looking in three books in particular, and I would have you go ahead and find the book of Isaiah. That's where we're going to begin. We're also going to be looking in Matthew and Luke today. If you'd like to take your Bible and turn with me to Isaiah, that's where we're going to start reading from today. So as you're looking for Isaiah, that Old Testament book, which is after Psalms, But Isaiah, which is before Jeremiah and Ezekiel, so you've got Psalms, Proverbs, you've got the Ecclesiastes in there, also got the Song of Solomon, and then you've got Isaiah. So if you'd find Isaiah in the Old Testament, that's where we're going to read starting off, and then we're also going to read out of Matthew and Luke today. So while you're finding that in Isaiah, there was this couple that was traveling, traveling for vacation. They were from up north somewhere in Yankee land, Yankee territory, and they were traveling down south. And as they were traveling down south and they were going through Louisiana, they came across a sign that had this name on it. And the husband, as he's driving along, as he's riding along and sees the name for this town in Louisiana, and he turns to his wife, says, it's about time we had a little stop here, isn't it? And so he's talking to his wife in his Yankee drawl and said, don't you think that we ought to stop up here and get some gasoline? We need to stop in this nacho cheese place that's up the road. And his wife is just laughing at him. She says, what are you talking about? It's not a nacho cheese, Louisiana. That's not the name of it. You don't pronounce it that way. And he turns to her and he says, of course it's nacho cheese. Look at it. Just spell it. It's nacho cheese, Louisiana. They say it different down here. You know, they're not from up north like us. And she says, no, no, no. Obviously, it's nacho doches. Nacho doches. Just spell it out, you dummy. Nacho doches. That's how they pronounce it down here. And they get into this argument as they're riding along. And for the next 10 miles, they're arguing with each other. They get off on the exit to go to this little town in Louisiana. And as they pull off, as they're still arguing, as they get out of the car, they go inside and they want to get something to eat at the little place where they stop. And they walk into this place. And as they walk in... They start talking, they're arguing loudly and they walk up to the counter and the teenage kid who's behind the counter, he's just kind of watching them with his eyes wide and the man turns from his wife and says to the kid behind the counter, hey kid, why don't you tell us, real slow like for my wife here, why don't you tell us how to pronounce the place of this thing where we are, where we're located right now, would you do it real slow so that she can understand you? And the kid behind the counter looks at him and says... Burger King. (laughs) You know, names mean something. Sometimes we get the names all screwed up. Sometimes we just don't really understand. Now, if you're traveling through this region of Louisiana, by the way, you might want to pronounce it the way that the locals do, Natchitoches. I don't know how they get Nakotish from that, but that's how they pronounce it down there in Nakotish, Louisiana. Sometimes names we just don't get right. We don't understand the significance of a name. But when we look in Scripture in particular, when we look in the Word of God in particular, we need to understand that names have a great significance. Names have a great meaning. There is something about a name. You've heard the phrase before, what's in a name? Well, in Scripture in particular, a name has great bearing and meaning. Now, the reason we're looking at three different passages of Scripture today, we're going to be looking in Isaiah, we're going to be looking in Matthew, we're going to be looking in Luke, because as a pastor trying to find some topic to preach on, some fresh way to look at Scripture In regard to the Christmas message, the Christmas story, as I was preparing for this message, trying to think, what am I going to be able to share? How am I going to be able to share this story in a fresh way? I was looking through many of these passages that talk about the coming of Christ, talk about our Savior, and I realized it was something that dawned on me. I've never spoken on this topic before it was kind of a a revelation for me as I was looking through. Did you know that as you look through the depictions, the prophecies about Christ in Scripture, there is not just one name that is given to Jesus? In fact, Scripture says that he will be called by multiple different names. Now we talk about Christmas, the birth of Christ, we talk about Christmas, the birth of Jesus, we talk about Christmas as Jesus' birthday, and yet when we look in Scripture, there are all kinds of depictions, there are all kinds of statements about what this day is about. Now I narrowed it down, I narrowed it down to these 16 names. I could have looked in Zephaniah. I could have looked in Micah. But we would have been here, even though I have a little extra time today, we would have been here till 10:30, 30, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, looking at all the names of Jesus. But these are ones that are tied in with his birth from Isaiah, from Matthew, and from Luke. And I wanted you to see them with me because there is something in a name. There is a message in a name. In Scripture, when a name is used, it's given for a purpose. Abraham. Abraham was given a name. Of course, his name, we know in Scripture, he was first named Abram. That was his name. Abram was his name, but God changed his name after he gave him the promise that he would bear a child. Even in his old age, when he was in his late 90s and he would have his child, he changed his name to Abraham, which means eternal father. How ironic for someone who is not a father to be named Eternal Father, but that's what God changed his name to, Isaac. His name in Hebrew sounds like the word for laughter. His name shall be called Isaac. Why? Because Sarah laughed at God when God said, you'll become pregnant. Jacob, who as he was born, was grabbing at the heel of his brother Esau. His name is Jacob, which literally means heel grabber. Moses, who was drawn out of the water, his name, can you guess what it means? Drawn out of the water. That's what it means. And so Moses is named drawn out of the water. I wonder why. There are meanings attached to names in Scripture, and when we look at the names of Jesus that are included here, there's a meaning behind it. I want you to see the names with me. And the question that is out there for us this Christmas season is, what should we call him? What should we call him? Start with me in Isaiah chapter 7 because this is where we begin today looking at some of the things that scripture says Jesus will be called. In Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 this is also quoted in Matthew chapter 1 verse 23. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself, God himself, will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. What should we call him? Well, one of the names that scripture says we are supposed to call him is Emmanuel. Now, you've probably been around long enough, listened to enough Christmas messages to know that this name, Emmanuel, literally means God is with us. This is the promise that was given to Isaiah. This is a promise that was given to Isaiah as Israel was being taken into captivity. As Israel, the northern tribes, were being led away into captivity. As the southern tribes in Judah would later be taken away into captivity, God gave this promise to Isaiah. He said, there is a Savior that is coming. There is one that is coming, and his name will be called Emmanuel. God is with us. This was part of what was prophesied about Christ. He shall be called God with you. Over in the next chapter, well, chapter 9, flip over two chapters with me. In chapter 9, again, Isaiah prophesying about the promised son of God who would come. He says in chapter 9, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness, they have seen a great light those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Now we could say that Jesus is a light, but that's actually not something that it says that he will be called. It says in verse 3, you have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of the harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. You have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder. The rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian, for every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel for fire. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Here in Isaiah chapter 9, it actually lists in verse 6 four different names. Now, some Bible scholars have actually said, well, it really ought to be five different names. It ought to be Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Well, we'll tie them together today because there's some question there. We'll just say that he is a Wonderful Counselor. And that's what Scripture says. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Why would this be important to a people, Israel, who are being taken off into captivity? Because they still need the guidance of the Lord. He is the Counselor. He is the one who can counsel and still gives good direction to their lives, even though they have turned away from Him and for generations have stopped seeking His counsel and His wisdom. He shall be called, He shall be named Wonderful Counselor. He shall be named Mighty God. He shall be named Everlasting Father. He shall be named even in the midst of strife and turmoil and war and battle and captivity. He shall be called named Prince of Peace. Now, those are just from Isaiah talking about the birth of Christ, talking about the coming of our Savior, talking about the coming of Jesus. These five that are listed there, possibly six, if you separate Wonderful and Counselor. But these five are just from Isaiah. If you flip over to Matthew, we get several other names for Jesus. Flip over to Matthew chapter 1 with me, where we've read the Christmas story before, and we know... As we've heard the Christmas story, we know that his name will be called Jesus, partially because that's what the angel said to Mary. Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary became was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. And when he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary, your wife, as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. For he will save their pe- his people from their sins. That name Jesus is actually the Aramaic version of that Hebrew name, Joshua, Yeshua, which translated in Hebrew and translated in Aramaic, Jesus, Joshua, means God, my salvation. And so when it says, you shall name him Jesus, For he will save his people from their sins. It is a statement referring back to how God had spared the land of Israel before, how God had saved Israel out of their captivity, and though Moses led them, Joshua was the one who took them into the promised land. God, my salvation, and has given me a settlement, a place to call my home. You shall call his name Yeshua, Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. But it's not just there that it speaks about the name of Jesus. Reading on a little further over into chapter 2 of Matthew, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the days of Herod the king, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Calling him, where is he who is king of the Jews? What should we call him? Well, the wise men had a name for him. He was just king of the Jews. The wise men called him by that name. And, of course, with Herod, it was something that was troubling to him and troubled all of Jerusalem because Herod was troubled. For we have seen a star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was was to be born. What should we call him? Emmanuel, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, Jesus, king of the Jews, the Christ. Those who would have heard that term, the Christ, would have known that this is speaking to this promised Messiah. It is not just the name Jesus Christ Christ that we often quote and that we think of and attached to Jesus as a name that he was born with. Jesus was born with the name Jesus, but the Christ was added on as a statement of who he is, Jesus the Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the one who was prophesied about from old. And Herod poses the question, where is the Christ to be born? And the kings respond. Verse 6. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a, capital R, a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. What should we call him? Maybe we ought to be calling him ruler. Ruler. Maybe we ought to be calling him Shepherd as Scripture speaks of. But those aren't the only names. Because we know that in Scripture, in the Gospels, in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's Matthew and Luke that both speak about the birth of Jesus, in particular about the birth of Jesus. Though John uses figurative language and he calls him the Word, the Word became flesh, we don't look there because it's speaking here about the birth of Jesus and what they say, he shall be called. So in Luke chapter 1, we get another statement of what Jesus should be called. Flip over there with me. Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, it says, verse 30, The angel said to her, Mary, don't be afraid, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called, named, the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He shall be called son of the highest, son of the most high. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will, be, will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be? I've not known a man. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. In verse 35, he is the Holy One. He is the Son of God. He is Son of the Most High. Scripture doesn't stop there with the names for Jesus. Down in chapter 1. As Jesus is prophesied about with Zacharias and his son to be born, John the Baptist, he says, Blessed is the Lord, verse 68, the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. What should we call him? The horn of salvation, the Son of God, holy, holy one. Son of the Most High. In chapter 2, where we know that the angels come and they speak about the birth of Jesus. In chapter 2, verse 8 Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, Savior Christ the Lord. What should we call him? Our Savior. What should we call him? Verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, I mean, here's just 16 names They're all tied with the birth of Christ. They're all tied with the coming of Christ. Sixteen names. I know it sounds like a lot. What should we call him? What should we refer to him as? And why are there so many names by which he's called? Why are there so many statements about who he will be, what he'll be doing? These names have meaning. These names have purpose. There's a reason behind them. But why so many? Well, I think as you look at these 16 names, there are three things that stand out. Three reasons why all these names are given about Jesus Christ. Jesus the Christ. And the first is this. When the angels would come, when the prophets would speak, and they would prophesy about the coming Messiah, when they would prophesy about Jesus' birth, they wanted to make sure that everybody understood these three things. First of all, they wanted everybody to understand this is God in the flesh. It points to the deity of Jesus Christ. Each name that's shared here, some of these names specifically point to the deity of Jesus Christ. Now, bear with me for just a moment. Speaking about the deity of Christ, here are a few names that point to the deity, the Godhood of Jesus Christ. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is mighty God. He'll be called everlasting Father. He shall be called Son of the Most High and Son of God. Each of these names speak to the deity of Jesus Christ. Why is that important at Christmas time? Why is that important for us to remember? Because as we approach Christmas, it's too easy to be lulled to sleep by a manger and a baby and a mother with a father as she holds her newborn child. And we're lulled to sleep by this image that it's about a baby. Now I was asked the question yesterday, um, stopped by, uh, visited with my mom and dad a little bit, and just spent a little time there, and dad said, why do you think more people show up around Christmas time than they do around Easter at church? And it, it is a trend. You'll notice that oftentimes we, we have people who will, will make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm there at church, you know, sometimes there are conflicts during the year, but we we try to make sure that often we're there around Christmas. Or if you know, we're with family, we'll, we'll go to church with them. We'll be there at Christmas. Why is it that people show up around Christmas more than they do around Easter? I mean, after all, isn't the story about Christ's death on the cross isn't the story about his redemption, isn't the story about his death and burial and resurrection and the salvation that we we receive through Christ and And if there is a time out of the year that we ought to be drawn more, that we ought to be pulled more towards worshiping God, it ought to be for the reason that he gave us a Savior, Jesus the Lord. But often what we find is around Christmas time, there are more people who are drawn to this place. They're drawn to worship. And quite simply, the only answer that I can give is, that I can think of is that, People are less threatened by a baby than a man on a cross. It's easy for us to gather around the manger and gush over the birth of a Savior. Good Christian men and women rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Hark the herald, angels sing, glory to the newborn king. But this isn't just about a baby, this is about God. God became flesh. It wasn't just a baby, it is God. In this miraculous transformation, he has taken human form with a purpose and a reason. He is God come to us. Emmanuel, God is right here in this one. And lest we forget this Christmas season, lest we get focused on some things that Pull our attention away. We've got to remember that from the very beginning, when the prophecy is made about Jesus Christ and at his birth, they are pointing to the deity of this one who has come. These names also point not only to the deity of Jesus, they point to the character of Jesus. What do these names tell us? They tell us that he'll be a wonderful counselor. And there's times in life when I'm struggling with heartache, when I'm struggling with grief, when I'm struggling with loneliness, when I'm struggling with loss. I have a wonderful counselor. I have a prince of peace. Peace. In our world today where turmoil is all over the place and wars and threats of war are in front of us, I have to remember that the Prince, Prince of Peace has come. But not only is he the Prince of Peace in regard to the nations and the world in which we live and wondering what will happen next month, next year, next decade, and wondering what will happen with the nations, it's a reminder to us that he is the Prince of Peace of my heart, that he has come not only to bring peace to the nations, but he has come to bring peace in the heart and mind of every individual human, man, woman, boy, girl, that he's my prince of peace, that he's the one who can give me peace this time of year. These names speak to the character of the Savior who has come. He's wonderful counselor, prince of peace. He's the shepherd who watches over his sheep. He doesn't lose sight of one single one. He leaves the 99 behind and goes and finds the one that's gone astray. And it's a reminder to me that he's my shepherd and that he's holy and he's perfect and he doesn't do anything wrong. And he's the consolation of Israel. He consoles me in the midst of my loss and heartache and grief. What do these names tell us? They tell us of the deity of Jesus. God has come. They tell us of the character of Jesus. He came to bring peace. He came to console. He came to shepherd. He came to counsel. He came and he's perfectly lived his life so that his plan might be fulfilled. What do these names tell us? They tell us of the deity of Jesus, the character of Jesus, and the plan of Jesus. He's the Christ. He's King of the Jews. He's ruler. He's the horn of salvation. Jesus is. Savior, the plan of Jesus from the very beginning of time and from his incarnation and his birth his conception and his birth all through his life the plan has always been that he be the savior he would be the Christ he would be the ruler he is the one who is the horn of salvation I come and I partake of Jesus Christ and if I partake of this gift that Jesus has offered salvation in his name if I place my faith and trust in him I will be saved, Romans chapter 10 says. What do these names tell us? They tell us that this is God who has reached down to me, that this is God who wants to bring peace to the heart of every human being. This is God who wants to console us in our loss. This is God who wants to shepherd and guide me. He has a plan for my life. And if I trust in him as my savior, if I call upon his name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and place my faith in him, then my salvation is secured. So what do we call him? What do we call him? Will we call him all of these? Emmanuel, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, Jesus, ruler, king of the Jews, the Christ, the shepherd. Son of the Most High. He is holy. He is Son of God. He is the horn of salvation. He's Savior, and He is my consolation. And I give praise and thanks today for the gift that God has given through His Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we have been blessed. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for this gift you are God incarnate Jesus you came as God in human form lived a sinless perfect life being our wonderful counselor, our prince of peace, our shepherd, our consolation. You sought to fulfill your plan, which was to seek and save those who were lost, which was to be ruler of all, that at, every, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord of all. Lord, I pray today if there's even one who has come to this place this morning who has yet to trust you and confess you as Savior and Lord, who might have come because of, baby in a manger is a little less life-changing, a little less threatening to our way of life than a Savior on a cross. Lord, I pray that you would shatter that illusion and that you would remind us of what we are to call you, not just Jesus, not just the babe in the manger, Emmanuel, God with us, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, Jesus, Christ, son of God, holy one. You're the consolation of Israel. You're the horn of salvation. You are the Savior. You are Christ the Lord. And it's in that strong name of Jesus we turn to and we pray